four or five verses of scripture to read this morning. The first one is Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in, constant in prayer. And the next one is in Romans 15 and 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In John chapter 15, verse 11, These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And the last one is in First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, is the word of the Lord. morning. Uh, I want to start in praying just uh, a, a little more prayer, a little more healing prayer um, for a few among us and, and a couple prayers of praise and thanksgiving as well. Mark McConnell is back. He's been sick for a number of weeks and so such a blessing to have you back. Belly was sick last week and is back. Uh, Ross Pilgrim had surgery this past week and is here with us. We're very, very grateful. We want to continue to pray for Taryn Orion, for Jenny Van Hoogstraten, uh, for Marilyn Bissell. And uh, Zori has asked us this morning to pray for her son, Mark. Many, many of you know Zori here toward the front. Uh, this is Rick Calhoun's mom, you know, my best friend, Rick Calhoun. And uh, so this is his mom. And so she's wonderful because she's Rick's mom, but also for a whole lot of other reasons. Uh, but Rick's brother, Zori's other son, Mark, Rick's older brother, had a stroke. It'll be two years in January, right? And uh, he's still not walking. Is that correct? He's had some therapy where he's been able to walk with some assistance. But So we're going to pray for Mark as well. Let's just pray together, bring these names before the Lord. It's a simple prayer, but powerful Holy Spirit in your presence. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in your name for healing. We pray for Mark, that he would walk again. We pray for Marilyn, that the diagnosis would be clear and she would find strength. We continue to pray for Jenny and we thank you for her. And we pray that you would continue to heal her body, mind, and spirit. We pray for Tara and Lawrence and Shane. Come, Holy Spirit, and bring the healing that is longed for and we feel is necessary. And make this a place of healing by our company and communion together and, Holy Spirit, by your blessing. We thank you for Ross. We pray for his continued recovery. We thank you for Marg, for Feli. We pray for Barb Smith, who has not been well. We humble ourselves before you. 
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If God so loved the world, and you think that he did, I would imagine, I hope so, John 3.16, but if God so loves the world, then shouldn't we be able to discern the presence of God in the world? God so loved the world, but where is God, and how can we know God's presence? In Christian faith, the answer, one of the main answers, is people. You'll know the presence of God, the blessing of Jesus Christ, in looking at other people. One of the other ways that we put it, there's a positive way to put it and a negative way to put it. I'm not making value statements there. I'm simply saying, like, one, you say a positive statement, and the other, you say kind of a not statement. The positive way of saying it is you find God's presence in other people. The negative way of saying it is you can't turn away from people to find God. Because God turns towards us. So we've taken up this series called Stories of Life and Faith. And so far, we've taught on a few concepts. We've talked about loneliness. We've talked about God being in unexpected places. And we've talked about healing. Healing over the last couple of weeks. We've done this by telling the story of somebody who's part of this congregation or connected to this congregation. We tell that story and introduce the concept one week, and then the next week, we teach a little further on it. Today we get to a great topic. Now, I've chosen these concepts on purpose because I think they're they're timely for us in terms of how we reach out to the world. So this is all about our Christian witness in the world. So loneliness makes sense. Many people are very desperately lonely, even though we're supposedly more connected than ever. God in unexpected places is something we're going to need to know for our evangelism. We talked about Chris and Caroline Liggett when we talked about that. And then healing. I feel in my own prayer life, my own interaction with you as a congregation, my interaction with leadership, that Sutherland needs to consider more deeply the concept of healing, even as we reach out in witness to this community. But today, we get to a great topic. All the others are great. But this one, you just get to go, oh, this is wonderful. And that's joy. We don't witness as Christians, like we're formed as a witnessing community. That's who we are, who we should be. And that doesn't happen without joy. And some of you have been part of religious expressions or communities where there is an absence of joy, and you see that it's terribly difficult for those places to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, these clothes of mourning and lamentation. You have loosed my sackcloth, and you have clothed me with gladness. You have clothed me with joy. This is a psalm. Isaiah 55, verse 12, you know it, we sing it. For you will go out with joy, spoken to people heading into exile, to people in exile, and spoken as a promise. So to people who might not feel joyful in that moment, but God is saying, this is the reality that I know, God is saying. Because God exists above your concept of time. You know that, right? You're stuck in it. And you think, oh, how could things possibly be better? Or how could things possibly be worse? But God exists above your concept of time. 
And so what he knows, even of your life, is much more than you do. So he says to these people who are struggling to feel any joy, he says, this is the truth of you. You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. Now that sounds like only poetry, and it is poetry. But some of you have experienced this in your Christian faith. I have. For me, bike riding is something that is prayerful. And very many times when I'm riding my bike, those mountains are breaking forth in songs of joy. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. George read for us more scriptures with joy. Such a key concept in our scripture. In the Gospel of John, Jesus sums up pretty much everything by saying to his followers, these things I have spoken to you. This is before his crucifixion. So be mindful of where he is headed and listen to these words that he says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, may be completed. It's not just something you feel. It's not an emotion that comes and goes. That your joy may be complete, may exist above blessing or suffering, like ease or suffering. And some of you have walked through great suffering and in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say, but in Him I know that my joy is full. Happiness turns up more or less where you'd expect it to turn up. In a good marriage, a rewarding job, a pleasant vacation. Sometimes when I read things like this, I think now, happiness has become such a fleeting emotion that it can be associated with buying things. That's happiness. I I have that kind of happiness when I buy things that I like. But that's happiness. That's fleeting. A rewarding job, a pleasant vacation. Joy, on the other hand, is as notoriously unpredictable as the one who bequeathed it. And some of you have known this. So this morning, we're telling a story of a friend of ours, and she's here, and she's going to be embarrassed the whole time and turning red because she does blush, which is just another good thing. We're telling Jean's story. Jean has been around here for quite a while. I know she wouldn't mind me saying that. This is her place, her neighborhood. You're in Jean's neighborhood now. You've lived in this neighborhood for quite a while, right? Connected to churches around here, here and down the road. Jean's not necessarily the person in terms of how the world notices things that people would first take note of. By the ways in which the world measures these things, Jean's life has not been a picture of ease and success and comfort all the time by the way the world measures these things. But I'll tell you what Jean's life is a picture of. By God's grace. And your responsiveness, Jean. Jean's life is a picture of joy. And this is so important in the Bible and in our faith. I'm clicking, but that's not turning, so you guys will have to turn. I've known Jean for years, for decades. 
And Jean has always, I was trying to think of a time when this wasn't true so that I wouldn't be lying, but I, I really can't. I'm sure it exists. But for me, Jean has always been sweet and approachable and friendly. You know how some people bring you down? You can nod. It's okay. You know how you're going to go meet somebody and you think, oh, I kind of like them, but usually when I'm done meeting with them, I feel worse than when I started? Think of the opposite of that and you get Jean. Whether it's an hour talking or a minute talking. This is the kind of thing that happens when you feel joy. And this is why, and we'll get to this at the end of this story, this is why Jean, people like Jean, but I'm going to just talk about her, this is why Jean is a minister. She's a minister. We console ourselves in this life thinking that things will be fair. By the way, we're on the other side of fair. Can we accept that? If things get leveled out to be fair in the world, we go down. (laughs) Do you know that? And so sometimes you're lamenting, like in your life, you're thinking, why, oh Lord, why? Why is it so unfair? Uh, just remember, you're on, the ups, you're on the positive side if you live here in this place and this and with our comforts. But we can still lament that. And I, I don't really think that life is fair. When you're a pastor, you're relieved of this kind of thing too. Because some of you, can I say this? Some of you just have things easier than others of you. And it's not all you're doing. It's just the way things work. So people in our world, they'll believe in, in kind of interesting things. Things like karma, because they think, well, things will level out, which is different than actually what karma means. But Jean is one of those people who, if you ever think that things have been unfair to you, that life has been... Maybe think of Jean if you know her and some of the struggles that Jean has had. When I got to know Jean and her family, um, they were in a house that doesn't exist anymore, right? On 15th Street, not far from here. Jen and myself, our boys, we live on 14th Street now, not far away. And uh, they were just starting to tear down houses and build fancier houses around, and eventually that's what happened to that house. And I'm friends with the people who live in, in, in the new house that's there now. But for a number of years, you could kind of go toward Jean's house, the Myers house, and you'd be like, okay, fancy house, fancy house, fancy house on the other side, not so fancy house, right? Fair? Yeah, Jean knows. If you didn't know, you might think, oh, the people who live there must have a story or two to tell. And I'd go in, dropping off Danny, or Anna was a youth group leader when I was youth minister. And it was evident that there were family struggles, and I won't say too much about that except that as soon as you say family struggles or difficulty, everybody has family struggles and difficulties. And if you say you don't, then, you know, try and peddle that stuff somewhere else, friend. Um, it's, it's just that we don't always know what they are, how intense they are, whether they're external or internal, whether it's been major trauma, anything, really difficult things. And I became really close with Danny, and this is when I was in the early days as youth minister here. And Danny is like this big teddy bear of a guy. You know Dan because he comes here from time to time. We baptized him here not that long ago. And I got really close to Dan and a couple of others. And this is, um, this is obviously more our concern for them than for me. 
But it is humbling to think that three of the people that I was closest with and worked with first as a youth minister all wound up having real difficulties with the law. Like one serving substantial jail time, one falling into addiction. And there's times still in my life where I go like, well, those, those were the early years of me as youth pastor. But Dan was one of those guys that I really, really loved, still do. But Dan began to have some difficulties. He would kind of follow just about anybody because he loves people so much. And sometimes that following would get him into trouble. And then he himself experienced some difficulties in terms of legal things, matters he'd done. It's like Jean would have, you could talk to her about this later if you want, if she lets you, don't all overwhelm her. You need a Jean ticket for this time. But some of the greatest fears you might have as a parent, so think of your greatest fear as a parent. Well, of course, I guess death would be with death of a child or something like that. But, but apart from that, what would be your greatest fear? And you would say, it would be this. Well, Jean has experienced like that one and another one as well. My boy, my little boy, and I can't help him. And he's caught in this terrible addiction. And Jean would find herself going to court to be with him. And some of you would go with her from time to time. And there was one occasion I was praying for Jean. A couple times I went to court with her, but one occasion I wasn't there, but I was praying for her in court. And this sounds, I'll just write it down as it came to me. I had this picture and this kind of altered scripture verse that simply said, and while Jean was shut up in the courtroom, the word of the Lord came to her, and Jean herself became a declaration of joy in the city. In the midst of it. Jean would call me in tears from time to time. But more often, when I interacted with Jean, it would be overwhelming joy. She would say these things to you too. Like family is visiting from out of province. And the way she describes it to you, it's like the most fantastic thing that has ever happened in the world. Family's coming. Just astoundingly good and almost unthinkable blessing. Jean goes to Evergreen every day. Is that true? Every day. Evergreen every day. There we go. Because John, her husband, is there. When I first met John, I had difficulty understanding him. At first, I thought it was a language thing or something, maybe accent from the old country, something like that, or just the way that he talked or put his words together, or maybe there weren't spaces between the words. To me, John, even in those early days when I first met these guys, he kind of existed as, well, not, this sounds kind of trite, but like he was from another time, not just another place. And then John had this stroke. And then I really couldn't understand him. But Jean goes to Evergreen every day to visit, to be with him, not to visit, bring food. They're like, so many times I see them there, or here, you can see them here. John comes here from time to time. They're like a couple of teenagers, like giddy teenagers. If it's teenagers and they keep doing that, it starts to bother you. Stop it. But when it's Gene and John, you're like, that is fantastic. They're giggling together. It isn't possible, or I'll ask it as a question. Is it possible that any one of you here would choose 
Now picture John and Jean at Evergreen. Evergreen's not the most fancy of places. Care center. Is it possible that not one of you here would choose to be there in such a place, in such circumstances? As I wrote this story, because I have it existing kind of more in written form and then like this, but as I wrote it, I wrote this line, thinking of not telling it to you, but how would I tell it to somebody who doesn't know Jean at all? And I, I had the line, Jean had so much less than so many others in her upper, upper middle class neighborhood. Or we could put it like this, Jean had so much less than so many others in her upper middle class church, yet she was not miserable like so many of them. Jean calls me one day a few years ago and says in a really positive, upbeat voice, can you help me with a memorial? I'm like, sure. I knew John was okay, so... And she seemed rather chipper about this, though I know her heart was in deep pain as well at the loss of a friend. And I said, sure. So we did this memorial here for a friend that she knew from working at Cedarview. I can't describe to you what a a light Jean was on that occasion. She spoke at the service, and I happened to have her words, some of them. You're doing well, Jean. So how do we relate to people who cross our path? Jean's words. Do we sidestep around them, then go merrily on our way, or do we actually make an effort to get to know that person to really care about them and their lives and their struggles, that's underlined. Maybe they're sad or lonely or just want someone to talk to. Maybe they need a chance to vent some of their frustrations. In John 13.34, Gene's a preacher now. In John 13.34, Jesus gives us a new command. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. He loves us as our friends. She's saying, as she's memorializing her friend, That's why Jesus cried at the tomb of Lazarus before raising him. Because he was his friend in there. And Jesus knew the pain of losing a friend. And I am so thankful for my friend, she said at this service. I was enriched and I was blessed. And then she, well, it's not the conclusion, but then she says, that's how it works. Care for one another and you will be blessed. And I, what struck me that day was I realized that Jean, and just being herself, one of her gifts is caring for other people, that it was in that that she experienced the joy of Jesus Christ. It was a real blessing to me to see that day Jean doing that. And Danny and his struggles continued. He would rehab and then relapse. Some of you have family members or friends that you know this cycle and story. And then there's a time we baptized Danny right here. He came to me and said he wanted to be baptized. And I said, absolutely. And the family was like, well, what if he relapses again? And we said, well, chances are. But this is the mark of the Lord upon him. God's faithfulness. And Danny did fall back into struggle. I don't think this is the toughest part of the story, but sometimes the pretense that we try to hold with one another, our lives and how together they are. Uh, I'm... I come here every Tuesday morning for prayer meeting early and it gets dark 
like now it's already dark by, you know, well, even later, but certainly before 7 o'clock. And I'm just finishing the recycling and the garbage and stuff on Tuesday mornings. That's our garbage day. And so dragging that to the back alley. And, and, and one time I was doing that and I saw Danny, my friend Danny, taking bottles out of the recycling. And I did kind of what you would do at first. I was like, oh, I feel bad for him, all those kinds of things. He felt a bit embarrassed, I could tell. But then right away we just started chatting, and it was fine. It was good. So the first time I saw him, it was a bit off, right? Second time I saw him, probably the next week, it was more like, hi, Dan. Hi, Todd. Just there. Third time, I get to kind of my place where I put the recycling garbage. Dan's down the down the alley a little bit, but he looks back to see him and he hollers, Hi, Todd! Every week. And then you know who would be with him a lot of those weeks? Gene. And when Danny's in rehab or when he's relapsed, Gene's still there. Collecting those, that recycling to help Danny. One time, now I'm going to tell the story of the elders. One time we were we were in an elders meeting and we were deciding, you know, who gets Christmas hamper stuff? Money, gift cards, whatever. And uh, we thought, well, we could we could uh, help out the Myers a little bit or whatever. And there was an expression like, well, it's but if, and Danny was probably in a time of difficulty then, but if we give it to her, does it wind up going to Dan and what happens there? And, and I, as a pastor, I remember thinking, Oh, sure, Gene's going to pass it on to Dan. Because <laughs> that's all Gene knows how to do is sacrifice herself. So we give it. Last year, uh, well, on one of these occasions that came out, and it's just, no, this was Gene and Danny this time. And early in the morning, dark, and they're out there collecting. talk with them. I had a coffee meeting to go to and a prayer meeting. Came back a couple hours later, a few hours later, and there was Gene again. Second shift. I said, you're back hard at work. She said, yep, two shifts today. And then she said this. Ready for this? This is the time when we needed money for people who were, those of us who were going to Nepal. She said, second shift. Got to help those kids get to Nepal. For that period of time, for those months, that's where the money was coming. And just like Jean, she kind of giggled as she said it, chuckled. I pray for Jean and others. And so often my prayer, when I pray for people experiencing difficulty, is simply, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And I pray also thank you. I am so grateful. Lord Jesus, you have told us that in this world we will have trouble. And I know that my friend Gene and others here, I say that, that you said in this world we will have trouble. And they just nod their heads. But they know the rest. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in that, we can know fullness of joy. Hebrews 12, 
1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There's a name, list of names before this in this text. You could add people you know. I could add Jane. Many of us could. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily. I remember the word so easily entangles. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, and this is the heart of all our joy, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus says to us, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full, may be complete. So here, as we end, is the secret that I want you to know. The secret about Gene. I gave it away at the beginning. Here's the secret. Gene is a leader in this church. I don't know if this can change. We should put it up if you can. The last quote. Joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. That is true. And this friend among us is and has been a leader and minister. And we are grateful. Board members are in charge and pastors and people... But people like Gene has been and will continue to be a leader. One of these most important things of all is joy. And we'd best not forget it. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we thank You that these most important concepts that we begin to investigate, consider together, we see them often first in one another's lives And then as we turn to Your Scripture, we see the fullness of that truth. We pray a blessing upon Jean, and we thank You that she has allowed us, even in this time, to tell her story, and to tell her story, more importantly, as a reflection of Your presence. We ask Your blessing. Make us people of joy, we pray. For this purpose, not only that we would feel better, because that's a tremendous blessing, but for the sake of the world, that they would know You. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.